what it is. And as we go through this, we can probably think right off the bat of several different illustrations or adjectives for peacemaking. We say, well, peacemaking is, is being kind to people. Peacemaking is, is supporting one another. Peacemaking is all these things. And, well, there's a lot of definitions, but as we come to find out, and anyone who studies the Bible long enough, oftentimes we figure out that God's definition of something sometimes is different than how we view it. And there's a very strong differentiation that can present itself as we continue to study through the Word of God. But first of all, if we're trying to understand the idea of peacemaking, should we not first of all understand what peace is? What is peace? The picture behind me you can see is that of a, a dove and olive branches, two symbols of peace, things that have been used for a long, long time. Olive branches to denote that peaceful existence between one another. In fact, you can see all around the globe, if you look at certain flags or seals, you see these leaves presented as a form of, well, there's times of war and there's times of peace. But these symbols are not the only thing that denotes it. There's a lot of characteristic that goes into it as well. And as we see throughout history, some people's definition of peace is, well, I made sure my enemy is not existing anymore. Now we're at peace. But that's not what we're discussing tonight. We're discussing godly peace and how God views it. And the first definition of peace that we have is confidence in our state. Now, what do I mean confidence in our state? Do I mean confident in the state of Tennessee? Well, no. Our state or our standing with God. I'm confident in the position that I'm in with God. Now, some might say, well, that just sounds arrogant to me for me just to say, oh, yeah, I'm right with God. I'm always right with God. Well, this sounds arrogant to our ears because we live in a world where you don't, you don't brag on anything. Don't you know there's miserable people out there and if you say something nice about yourself that they're going to be offended? But the reality is, is God wants us to be a confident people. Not boastful, not proud, not shoving in everyone's face how wonderful our, life are, or our lives are, but confident in Him. You see, when I claim confidence in God and I say that I'm safe because of the grace and the goodness of God or I'm safe because of God's justice or all that He did for me, notice not one piece of that has anything to do with my own power to do it. My own ability to do it. Now, what do I have the ability to do? I have the ability to follow the Word of God. I have the ability to study more about the Word of God. I have the ability to live a life that is completely focused on being with Him. However, it's not my own ability that granted me salvation. It's not my own ability that made me a Christian. You see, the reality is, if God was not willing to make me a part of His family, as we read in the latter part of Acts chapter 2, how He added to the church daily those that were being saved, but if I was going to take that position and say, well, I'm the one that brought me into the church... Well, that completely leaves God out of the equation. God has no place here because I was the one who did everything, right? No, I have confidence because of the Lord and because of all that He did and all He offered me and the promise that He made to me that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you follow after me, these are the end results. And as we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, if we're faithful unto death, we will receive a crown of life. Now that comes from a God who cannot lie. That comes from one who made the very heavens and earth on which we live. He is the very source of truth and goodness. This is the exact same being who promised that. Is that not something I can be confident in? 
and I can have security in knowing that this is my God, the very one that I serve? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here, Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy. And he describes specifically, let's start in verse 6. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. He's giving him practical advice for his day and age. And then verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And notice that last one. Of a sound mind. Of a sound mind. If there is one thing that I can look at our world today and just take 30 seconds and look at the local news station or look at a national news station, the one thing I can figure out pretty quickly is that most people do not have a sound mind. They do not have a sound mind. Now, we might chuckle at that and we say, oh, that means that they're just... Yeah, there's some nutcases out there. There's some crazy people out there. But more of what we're talking about is there's no peace of mind. There's no peace of mind. Think about it. If I'm putting all my hopes and cares into the world, how terrifying a thought is that? We say, well, I put my trust and my faith in the most powerful country on the face of this earth, the United States of America. You know what the most powerful nation on the face of the earth back several hundred years ago was? They all thought they were invincible. They all thought that they could provide. They all thought that they were the strongest military or the strongest economy or no one's going to bring me down. But where are they now? Nations today that exist, I, if I just were to throw a dart at the map of Europe, probably at one point one of those nations was a superpower. If you go on a look at a map today, you can look at the nation of Austria, a little small tiny country in Central Europe. It used to be the Austro-Hungarian Empire, spanned almost all of Europe. One war, and that was all gone. One short period of time, and everything they had built crumbled. See, if I put my faith in the world, that's all I have to offer. I can put my faith in good financial standing, but how do I know there won't be a market crash? I can put my faith and my confidence in people. I can say, well, I have some of the best friends in the world. Have they been tested? People can let you down. Even the strongest of friends can make mistakes. Even the most confident people in the world can have their faith shaken. See, that's why I don't put my faith in people. I don't put my faith in the things of this world. I don't put my faith in anything here on this earth because one day it all will be gone. Just a distant memory. So I put my faith and my confidence in the one who created me. I put my faith and my confidence in the one who created the church. I put my faith and my confidence in the one who offered a sacrifice once for all for sin. And I have that spirit of power, spirit of confidence, not because of anything I've done, but because I serve the biggest being. I serve the greatest being. I'm sure many of us have seen toddlers or young children on the playground and they say, my daddy could beat up your daddy. The reality is, there wouldn't even be a fight with God. 
I'm reminded of what the man Gamaliel said when he was talking about the early church and the Jews were trying to figure out a way they could just bring this down. They were so sick of these people. And he said, have there not been false messiahs before? And when they died, what did their followers do? They scattered to who knows where. He said, if this is from men, it'll, it'll fall. It'll disappear, it'll vanish, and it'll just be another funny story we can talk about. But if it's from God, do you really want to be on the opposite side of Him? Do you really want to stand against the very being who gave you breath? Is that not something we can be confident in, knowing that I'm serving that God? That Lord, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. There's a level of peace that can come from that. But it's more than just being confident. Peace is also having harmony with others. Now, some might look at this and say, ha, got you. There's a contradiction. This morning you said that we're not supposed to be people pleasers. But there's a difference in having harmony with others and being people pleasers. I can have harmony with those who are serving God. I can be in harmony with them. I can say we're on the same team. We're on the same page. We're accomplishing the same goal. Are there going to be moments of difficulty? Yes. Are there going to be moments where someone doesn't like me too much? Yes. But I can have harmony as long as we're serving the same Creator. And we're following after Him the way that He intended. Let's look at the book of Galatians. That's Galatians chapter 6 in particular. Another one of Paul's epistles. And let's start looking... Well, let's start in verse 8. He says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, or while doing good in, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Sometimes we get into this idea that if others will not do good for me, why should I do good for them? And that's a valid statement. doesn't make it accurate, but it's valid. Because Jesus was good to those who crucified Him. Jesus taught us that we were to do good to those, to help those who are in need, to try to lend the helping hand as it were. Yes, partially to try to help them to see the truth, but also to show them the goodness of God. Because if I can say that I, as a human being, am going to help you, why? Because my God did so for me. Does that tell you more about me or more about God? See, because when I'm making that focus, I'm saying, yes, I'm helping you, and yes, that's a wonderful thing, but I'm doing it because of God. I'm doing it because He did it to me first. It's a, for lack of a better term, a spiritual pass-it-on campaign. <laughs> See, God wanted us to have harmony with others, not because He just wanted everything to be sunshine and roses here on this earth, even though He would love for that to be the case. That's what He created in the Garden of Eden. But man, because of his sin, ruined that. Separated us from God, and now we have this confidence in Him because He said, I'm going to bridge that gap. Your sin separated you from me so much so that I can't, even, I can't touch you. I can't you as long as you're in sin. But if you choose to follow after me, we can fix that. 
We can bridge that gap to where you're one of mine again. And the beauty of that is, is that when we all are on the same path, we can support one another. Now, here's the funny part. Does that mean every single person who names the name of Christ is going to be best buddies and go on every camping trip they can get their opportunity to do? Probably not. Personalities are different. Hobbies are different. Things that people bond over can be different. But friends, we all can at least have harmony. We all can at least be on the same side. So yes, there is a level of peace in being confident in our state. There's also peace in being in harmony with others, but there's also peace in being reconciled with God. Now what's the difference in that first point and the second point in having confidence in our state? This is saying that if I am separated from God, which does cause a lack of peace of mind, <laughs> that I can have that fixed. I can come back to Him. I can be reconciled with Him so that even though the world wants to drag me away, I can always come home. Now, some like to take this idea and abuse it. I'm reminded of what a preacher said on one occasion who he described how some Christians view salvation and how they view this gift that God has offered to us. And he said, some people like to treat God like the spouse who rubs it in their... Uh, their spouse's face, that they're cheating. Oh, you can't leave. You're always going to take me back, so I'm going to go off and do whatever I want to, and you're just have to, going to have to be okay with that. See, we understand that that's cruel. If we saw that happening to a friend of ours, we would be up in arms. But that's how so many people treat the Lord. They say, I know you're never going to leave me nor forsake me, and so if I just go off and do whatever I want, then I can just come back. But is that what he said? He says, you can leave. I won't stop you. He gave us free will. He gave us the choice to live our lives however we see fit. But he said, just know there's consequences. There's consequences to that lifestyle. So... I can have confidence knowing that if I'm following and trying to walk with the Lord, as we see in the book of 1 John chapter 1, if I walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. I can have fellowship with God and with man if I'm following that path. If I'm staying with the Lord, and I know that if I stumble and I fall, which is probably going to happen, I can get back up and keep going. Not because of any power that I have, but because of the wonderful mercy of God. See, this is what the Lord has promised to you and to me, to those who are willing to serve Him and to follow after His path. Let's look at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Let's start in verse 1. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Did you notice what he said there? Having been justified by faith, we have what with God? Peace. Peace with God. Why would it say peace? Because friends, as long as we are separated from God, we are not at peace with Him. In fact, if I am standing against the Lord... I am at war with Him. 
I have chosen the opposite side and I said, I am going to stand against everything that you stand for. But the problem with that is, is that people who stand on that side don't realize that's only hurting them. God continues to have his hand outstretched saying, just accept what I've said. Follow after me, do the things that I've told you to do and you can be free from this. And people say, I don't care. I'm not going to follow after you. Your way is too hard. God looks at their life and says, how is yours any better? You spend your days going after things that are wasted. Things that will rust, they will become moth-eaten, they will corrupt. He said, but I'm offering you things that will last for eternity. What is peace? Peace is knowing that no matter what happens here on this earth, no matter what I face, no matter what I lose, I will gain everything in the end. That's peace. Because that's a peace of mind that I can't buy. That's a peace of mind that no therapist can offer me. That's a peace of mind that nothing on this earth can grant me. There are so many people who are going listless in this world. They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. They find goals, but they're short-term. And then once they achieve those goals, what's next? God says, I can give you a goal that's never going to fade. It's never going to disappear, and the benefits are more than you can imagine. That's a peace that we can't buy. So what is peace? Peace is that state of confidence. So what does it mean to make peace? To make peace. Some of you might be familiar with what that picture is behind me. This picture was taken in 1945. This is VE Day. Victory in Europe. We won the war against the Germans. It's all over. The World War II for the European front had ended. A war that had cost millions of lives, millions and billions of dollars in damages, and it displaced countless people. It was over. And it was a day of celebration and excitement, and the people were so thrilled that this was all over, but they still had half a war to fight. <laughs> They still had another enemy to take down. This is 1945. We won all wars, right? It was all over. We won the biggest and the baddest war, and we now could be at peace. 1950. We were at war again with Korea. 1965. We were at war with Vietnam. 1991. We're at war with Iraq. 2001, we're at war with Al-Qaeda. Shall I go on? For every moment that we make peace here on this earth, there's another war to fight. Another battle to defeat, or another enemy to defeat, another battle to face. So what does it mean to make peace? Well, first of all, peace is not the job of the go-between but it's the job of the participant. 
Yes, there are some people who can be arbitrators and they can come into a situation and they can say, hey, you're not being objective about this side and you're not being objective about this side. Let me, let me try to formulate some sort of peace agreement. But it falls far more into the category of those who are fighting this battle. Because in order for peace to be had, one person has to put down the weapon. And that's a scary thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do. Because imagine if we had been told that World War II could have been ended just as long as America stopped fighting. Do you think we would have had confidence that Hitler would have kept his end of the deal? See, we don't trust our enemies. When we're in a fight, we want to win. We want to make sure this is settled. And friends, as long as that battle is against the Lord our God, we better be ready to fight it. But most of our battles, most of our fightings, most of our dealings don't come from that. Most of our difficulties that we face come from disagreements within ourselves. Things that really have no lasting spiritual significance. Things that are not the end of the world. And that takes for people to recognize that fact. To see that this is not the most important thing in the world and to understand that times that this needs to be solved by walking away. By just trying to leave it alone. Let's look at verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is in the list of qualifications for elders, and it's fascinating to me that this is, this is one of the things that God said, this is the man that I want to lead my church. The physical version. You need leaders. There needs to be people who stand in that position. And God laid out all these qualifications and said, this is the type of person that I want leading my people. And notice what he says in verse 3. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not covetous. See, he's not looking for a fight. He's not going around saying, well, you didn't do exactly what I wanted, so I'm going to put you in your place to make sure. No, 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 no. See, God understands that the role of an elder is a difficult one. It can be a painful one sometimes. And He understands that He needs people who are willing to make peace before they make war. He needs people who are willing to fight the battles that they need to face, but they're going to exhaust all their other resources first. We can be thankful to this congregation. We have two men that, are, that try to do this, that try to live up to these standards. And that's a wonderful thing. A lot of congregations can't say the same. But it requires people who are willing to step aside, to understand that I have to lay down my arms sometimes. Some battles aren't worth fighting. More than that, we seek peace by ending unnecessary conflict. Unnecessary conflict. Christians are taught to be a peaceful people. We are to be a people who seek the greater good, always. And sometimes it can be difficult for us to face fights. We become disoriented. We allow these things to engulf us, and it becomes a, sometimes a worldwide phenomenon. I heard a man on one occasion, he was discussing the beginnings of World War I, and he said, if you really think about on a global scale, just imagine for a minute... 
that one person committed some crime, just in general, just a regular crime, if we heard someone got murdered, it would be shocking, it would be hurtful, it would be terrible to hear, but it wouldn't make national news. It wouldn't be something that's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's heartbreaking, it's terrible, but we're not going to pick up arms to go find this guy and make sure we put him behind bars because it happens every day. They said World War I was started because one man killed one man. It just so happened that that man that he killed was the leader of one of the most powerful nations of the world. And that became a local war between one nation and one nation. But that nation had friends, so their, his friends came to back him up. The other nation's friends came to back him up. And next thing you know, seven years of brutal conflict. So what's the point, Josh? Why are you bringing up this about World War I? How many times are members of the Lord's church divided over one member getting mad at one member? Because one person was not willing to make peace. We're not talking about moments where it's necessary. We're not talking about the fact that this man literally... He stole from someone else or he attacked someone else. It's not something we're dealing with this. No, we're talking about one member just maybe had their feelings hurt by another member. And then that person gets their friends and that person gets their friends. The next thing you know, there's a serious problem. Peacemaking is made, first of all, by understanding I'm not the most important person. Do I have value? Absolutely. But I'm not the most important person. I understand that in order to make peace, sometimes I have to lower myself. Sometimes I have to do something that's not pleasant for me. How many times do you think it was pleasant for Jesus to hear someone talk down to Him? To say, oh, He's, just, he's eating with publicans and sinners. What's wrong with Him? When He's saying, I know your heart. I know the very moment you were made. I know the matter you were made from. I existed before you were a thought. But Jesus understood there's greater battles to fight. Jesus understood there were moments when He had to step in. There were moments when Jesus flipped the tables. But I have to understand that if I'm going to be like Christ, there are some times I have to take the loss. And I have to understand that I'm not the most important. I'm not the one who makes everything run. We read in the Scripture reading, As much as lieth within you, let us live peaceably with all men. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes it's not possible to have peace. Sometimes conflict is necessary. but I should seek every opportunity to have that peace, to resolve that conflict. But more than that, I also should seek to have opportunities to help someone else to have peace of mind in God. To say, right now, things are difficult for you. I understand where you are because I've been there. 
I listened to a man on one occasion who thought he was the only person. Because <laughs> he said, I'm surrounded by people who are godly people all the time and they just seem to have everything together and I go home and I'm crying to myself because I don't know what I'm doing. Or I don't think I'm good enough or I just can't seem to kick this sin habit. When the reality is, he's not the only one. <laughs> Every one of us probably could think of a moment where there was such unsurety or difficulty or fear that we were brought to that point. And there was no peace of mind. People would say, well, you need just pray about it, just continue. And we just said, that doesn't work for me. It takes work. It takes effort to be this. It's hard, but we can all do it. See, when I put my confidence and my faith in God and understand who He is and what He wants me to do and how He feels about me and how He feels about the Lord's church, that goes a long way to helping to have that peace of mind. Because I'm not thinking anymore about my own Lack of sufficiency. I mean, think about what Paul described himself as. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. But he also said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that tonight? Are you one who has tried to be a peacemaker? Are you one who tries daily to live up to the life that Christ has told us to live? The life that He was willing to live Himself and to give us an example to follow after. I'm not going to pretend like this is a piece of cake. I'm not going to pretend that this is something that is easy to overcome. But maybe you've been sitting in the pews. Maybe you know there's things that are amiss in your life and you've been holding the back of that pew for too long. Or in our case, chairs. Maybe you've been holding on for so long you know there's something that needs to be changed, but you just keep waiting. Saying, I'll find a better day. Friends, there's no better day than today because we're not promised another. We're not promised another moment that we can continue to breathe breath and have another opportunity to do this. Maybe you've never become a member of the Lord's church and you've never had that peace of mind. You've never said that I know my sins are forgiven me. He made it available for you so that you could even do it tonight. He said we must hear the word, Romans 10, 17. Upon hearing that word, acknowledging what he has said, we believe it to be true according to Romans chapter 8, verse 24. And based upon that belief, that acknowledgement, this is fact, I'm willing to change my actions. I'm changing my mind to live a new life according to Acts 17.30. And based upon that changed mind, I'm willing to follow after everything that Christ said, which is going to lead me to confess that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's exactly who He said He was, and I will follow Him. According to Romans 10.10. And based upon that confession, we will be happy to baptize you into Christ this very evening so that you can walk out those doors a brand new person with a spotless record. But maybe you already did those things. You already became a member of the Lord's church and you remember that feeling when you came out of the water. You remember understanding, I am pure, I am clean. Friends, you can have that again. Because the world does happen. 
The world drags us away from Him constantly. But you can make the decision. You can have that slate wiped clean again according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He is willing to do that. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever choice, if it is a matter that you need to bring before the congregation, come now. But if you want to become a member of the Lord's church, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come as, we, as together we stand as we sing.